book three chapter two of saint francis of assisi a biography by johannes jorensen translated by thomas o'connor sloan this librivox recording is in the public domain book three god's singer chapter two missionary journeys it was not now the intention of saint francis to restrict himself to a new mission trip through italy he had greater plans as he went out of assisi this time and in a sense it was his youthful dream of wars that returned to the man of thirty years it was the time of the crusades not many years later john of brienne a brother of francis's old-time hero walter was to go to damietta at the head of a great army of christians francis too would go on a crusade but with no other weapon than the gospel what he had in mind was no less than to preach christianity and conversion to the saracens first he wished to obtain the pope's assent to his new proposal it is said of st dominic that he was always to be found on the road to rome to obtain instructions the same applies to francis two years after he had obtained innocent the third's verbal ratification of the rules of the order we find him again in rome to remind the pope of the promises he had then given he could now well say that god had multiplied his brother's voice and could therefore beg to have a greater mission given him we know little of francis's third journey to rome on the way he visited alviano near todi where he preaching in the market-place is said to have ordered the swallows swooping about and disturbing him with their cries to be silent perhaps he also went through narni and toscanella in rome francis preached as usual in the streets and alleys with these sermons he won two new brothers zacharias who afterwards became a missionary in spain and william the first englishman who entered the order far more important for the whole future of the order was the friendship francis here contracted with a woman whom he later on account of her manly character called jokingly brother jacoba the wife of the roman nobleman graziano frangipani her name was giacoma or jacopa de setasoli and she was about twenty-five years old the frangipani family is one of the noblest in rome it is said to have sprung from the gens anicia which counts among its members in the course of years a benedict of nursia a paulinus of nola and saint gregory in the year seven seventeen flavius anicius petrus then the head of the family by generous gifts of bread during a great scarcity of food in rome won the name of the breaker of bread in the beginning of the thirteenth century the frangipanis lived in rome with extensive estates in the trans-tiberian region and on the esquiline where they possessed among the rest of their property the castle-like remains of the septizonium of septimus severus a name which in a changed form still lives in the title of the roman street via della settesale and from which graziano frangipani's wife acquired her name de settesole giacoma is said to have been of a mixture of norman and sicilian blood she was probably born about eleven ninety 
for in 1210 she was married and had a son, Giovanni. Afterwards she had another son, Graziano, in 1217, shortly after her husband's death. Already in the year 1212 she had made the acquaintance of Francis of Assisi, an acquaintance which on the next visit of the Umbrian evangelist to Rome was to develop into a true and inward friendship. Francis had certainly little trouble in obtaining Innocent III's blessing on his work. He embarked on the sea. We do not know from which port. Storms drove the ship off her course, and she stranded on the coast of Slavonia. There was no way of embarking thence for the Orient. It was late in the year, and the weather was also unfavorable for the sea crossing. Francis tried to get a ship for Ancona, but the seamen were unwilling to load a ship with him and his followers. They then formed the plan of hiding themselves among the ship's cargo without the crew knowing it. They emerged only after the ship was on the open sea, and as the voyage on account of unfavorable weather lasted longer than was expected, and the ship's rations became exhausted, the two hidden passengers obtained permission to share their rations with the crew. Hardly had Francis's feet touched Italian soil when he took up his old way of life and went preaching from city to city. In Ascoli his preaching had such effect that over thirty men, some priests, some laymen, sought to be received into the brotherhood. Elsewhere he was surrounded as before by the jubilations and crowds of people they strove at least to touch the skirt of his garment only the cathari also diffused through the ancona region kept away from him for the kernel of his preaching as of all his religious life was the absolute unconditional and in all unessential things blind obedience to the roman church and the principal sequence thereof a deep reverence for the priests of the same church it was with timely retrospect over this and similar missionary journeys that francis in his testament has written words about the poor minor priests in the parishes about whom he in spite of all will fear love and honour as his masters and not look upon their faults this last was what the cathari wanted they expatiated long and loud over the sins of the priests, and thus took many out of that church which the priests represented. Francis was of that rare nature that can discriminate between things and persons, and he knew how to inspire the same spirit in his brethren. But how can a priest lie, Brother Giles asked in this spirit, incensed over so unreasonable a supposition? While in Ancona this time, Francis converted a celebrated man of that time, the troubadour Guglielmo de Vini, called by the people the Verse King. De Vini was on a visit to the little village San Severino in Mark Ancona, where he had a relative, a nun. Francis was preaching in the convent at the time, and the celebrated poet heard him there. There was, according to all testimony, something very impressive in Francis's way of speaking. It was not so much a sermon, says Thomas of Spilato, as a concio, a lecture that touched on practical and moral reform. 
and francis was an unbending moralist he was not silent about wrongs that he saw but gave everything its right name in spite of his poor external appearance he inspired thereby not only wonder but also fright there was something of john the baptist about him in his writings there is many a woe to the sinner whose wages are eternal fire he was not afraid to threaten with god's punishment his words were compared to a sword that pierces through hearts so guglielmo davini heard the celebrated preacher of repentance in the cloister in san severino the poet came from curiosity and a crowd of the gay youth of the village with him at first francis did not impress them greatly but the verse king soon began to listen it seemed to him as if the poor little man from assisi talked to him alone as if all the words he heard were directed to him and one after another like well-aimed arrows sent by a master hand thrust their points into his heart what did francis talk about it was on his usual theme to despise the world and to be converted so as to withstand the coming wrath and when he was through the simple and great thing at once happened and guglielmo davini rose up fell at the feet of francis and cried out brother take me away from men and give me to god on the next day francis clothed him in the gray clothes of the order and girded his loins with the cord and gave him the name pacificus because he had left the world's tumult for the peace of god thus too a century later another much greater poet was to seek for peace among the children of st francis one evening he already gray and bowed down stood before a lonely cloister in the apennines and knocked at the door and to the porter's question as to what he sought there the great florentine dante gave only the one all-including answer pace peace although francis thus received every one with a troubled heart who came to him and without further novitiate clothed him in the order's garb it was in twelve twenty that a year's trial or novitiate was established he had a wonderful ability at discriminating among the many who began to wish to be received among the brothers a short period had elapsed after pacificus's conversion when a young nobleman from lucca sought francis and with tears cast himself at his feet and asked to be one of his sons francis addressed him with severity your weeping is a lie he said your heart does not belong to god why do you lie to the holy ghost and to me thus it appeared that the longing for the cloister was only a caprice of the young man perhaps conceived in a moment of dissatisfaction with the conditions of home when his parents came to beg him to come back he readily complied especially was francis on his guard with the book-learned viri literati when such a bookman comes to me he said openly i see at once if his intentions are sincere when his first prayer to me is this one behold brother i have lived long in the world and never rightly knew my god give me a place far from the world's alarms 
where I, in the bitterness of heart, can think over the years I have lost and squandered to live a better life in the future. It was only for the disinherited of this world, the poor and oppressed, the unfortunate and lost, the lepers, thieves and robbers, that Francis's heart was open without reservation. It is true that the Benedictine rules contained at this time the words, all strangers shall be received as if it were Christ. But Francis himself had found by trial in his youth that this command was not always lived up to, that it was observed in the case of guests who could claim a position in society, but that it was not observed in the case of those who needed it the most, the homeless, the tramps, and the beggars. It is certain that with the experiences of his youth at St. Maria della Rocca in mind, Francis in his rule at the very beginning wrote the beautiful words, And whoever comes to the brethren, friend or enemy, thief or robber, shall be kindly received. Even his most devoted disciples had trouble sometimes in following him in this matter. The Speculum Perfectionis contains the following impressive tale from the early days of the order. In a hermitage over Borgo San Sepulcro, Monte Casale is meant, Borgo San Sepulcro is a village about halfway between Mount Alverna and Gubbio. It happened that robbers who used to keep in the woods and fall upon wayfarers came and asked for bread but some of the brothers said that it was not right to give them alms. Meanwhile, St. Francis came to this convent, and the brothers asked him if it were right to give alms to robbers, and St. Francis answered them thus, If you do as I say, then have I hope in God that I will save their souls. Go then and get good bread and good wine. Take it out to them in the woods and say to them, Brother robbers, come here, we are brothers, and we come with good wine and good bread to you. Then they will come at once, and I will spread a cloth on the ground, and set the table for them, and wait on them with humility and cheerfulness while they eat. But when they are through, I will speak God's word to them, and finally I shall beg them to grant you a request in God's name, namely, that they shall promise you not to kill anyone and to do bodily harm to no one. If I ask anything of them, at once they will answer no, but now for the sake of your humility and goodness, they will promise you this. The next day, in requital of their good promises, you shall go out to them with bread and wine, eggs and fruit, and wait upon them while they eat, and when they have finished, you shall say to them, Why do you wander about all day and suffer hunger and endure so much, and in thought indeed perpetrate so many things and imperil your souls? It is much better to serve the Lord than he will give you what you need here upon earth, and at the same time you will save your souls. Then the Lord will grant them that for the sake of your humility and patience they will be converted. But the brothers did all, just as St. Francis had said, and the robbers, from thankfulness and with God's mercy, held point for point and jot for jot what the brothers had enjoined them. 
yes for the sake of the humility and confidence of the brothers they helped them and carried wood into the hermitage and eventually some of them entered the order but others confessed their sins and did penance for their transgressions and promised the brothers solemnly to live by the work of their hands and never to do such things again as this tale one of the oldest remains we possess lies before us it gives us a full conception both of francis's knowledge of men he knew that it was useless to preach to a hungry man he knew also that rome was not built in a day and of his unpharisaical love of men here is one of the moments in the history of christendom when the words of the gospel are understood exactly as they were said and if you love them that love you what reward shall you have do not even the publicans this but do good without expecting anything from it and your reward shall be great and you shall be the sons of the highest for he is kind to the unthankful and to the evil if francis was thus indulgent to the last degree with great sinners so on the other hand he put good people to a severe test from those to whom much was given he expected much the fioretti have preserved for us many incidents which illustrate this characteristic in him such demeanor in the case of rufino who belonged to one of assisi's best families and whom he ordered to go naked from portiuncula to the city and to preach naked in the cathedral a similar command was that which he gave to brother agnolo near borgo san sepulcro who belonged to that place and who like rufino was of good family he too was to go naked into the town and announced that francis would come next day and preach there but he was called back as he was approaching the city gate and francis promised him paradise for the readiness with which he had humiliated himself little is known with certainty of francis of assisi's journeys during the next few years wadding has with admirable sagacity tried to put into order all the fragmentary pieces which constitute the biographical material for these years so as to form an artificial mosaic but he failed in the attempt and when he for example assumes that francis was sick in assisi in the winter of twelve twelve to twelve thirteen and sent out from his sickbed his letters to all christians it confuses the occasion with much later events we can with some certainty believe that francis pursued his journey through italy however this may be we meet him in the beginning of twelve thirteen on a similar mission a journey in the province of romagna in this region not far from the little republic of san marino there was in olden times a nobleman's castle called montefeltro now sasso feltrio near the city of san leo francis and his companion probably leo came to this city on a beautiful may morning just as the banners flying from the towers and the proud blare of the trumpets announced a great festival gaily dressed pages and men-at-arms hastened over the drawbridge knights on powerful chargers brightly caparisoned thronged under the gateway 
swinging carriages bore ladies young and old with laced bodices and high headdresses up the steep road to the castle everything indicated that a festive tourney was to be held to which all the nobility of the district was invited all the splendor here displayed did not irritate brother francis pious people are addicted to this failing so that francis was wont to warn his disciples against judging and despising those who went in costly clothes and lived in luxury god is also their master said he he can call them when he will and make them just and holy had not this happened to him therefore he stood there a little while and looked at the banner that waved over the gate with the bearings of the barons of montefeltro he then turned with a smile to his companion what do you think should we too go up to the festival perhaps we can win a good night for god's cause it was done as he said the occasion of the festival was the knighting of a young soldier all attended mass during which the young man took the pledges of knighthood and then francis ascended some steps in the castle garden and began to speak as his text he had chosen some words in the dialect of the people a simple doggerel such as children use the two following lines tanto e it bene cicaspetto ciogni pena me diletto i hope that i so blessed will be that every suffering pleases me one can easily imagine that francis grown up as he was in the atmosphere of the romances of king arthur and the knights of the round table developed this text somewhat in the following manner the knight he began who wants to win a lovely dame must be ready to undergo great and many sufferings she may require of him that he shall go on a crusade against the sultan perhaps that he shall bring her a horn of the unicorn or an egg of the bird called the rock perhaps that he shall set free a captive maiden or ride a fully equipped charger over a bridge which is so small that one can hardly walk across it while under it pours a wild torrent and all these dangers and sufferings the true and noble knight is ready to undergo only because his dear lady wishes it and through all his tribulations he thinks only of her white hand that she will give him to kiss when he goes back with deeds well done and immediately his despondency and gloom are over but now there is another and far nobler knighthood to which all men are called and not only those of noble birth there is another battle not to win the favor of an earthly beauty but to do the will of the eternal and highest beauty who is god for is not god far more beautiful than all the beautiful ladies for they are all the work of his hands made out of the dust of the earth is not he who made so much that is beautiful is not he still more beautiful than all his creatures yet he is that and therefore he also deserves that you go out as knight-errants for him and fight valorously for his honor against the enemies who are the world the flesh and the devil and what will he not give us if we have been faithful to him like a knight to his lady-love 
and do not permit ourselves to be cast down in his service by any obstacle or suffering he gives us infinitely more than even the most beautiful dame can give she has only herself her hand and her heart but the hand shall wither and the heart shall fail some time but when god gives himself as the prize for the victory as the shining prize for the winner of the joust then he gives us life light and happiness in imperishable immortal eternity it was about in this way that brother francis spoke and his words may well have moved many a young and noble heart but one among them and this was duke orlando de catani of the castle of Chiusic in casentino approached francis and said father i want to talk to you about the salvation of my soul but francis who gave god's spirit time to work upon souls had no haste but answered go first and hold festivities with your friends wherever you may be invited after that we will talk in peace and quiet when the tourney was over the young duke again visited francis and they talked together but at the end of the conversation the duke orlando said i own a mountain in tuscany which is called laverna a very lonely mountain well adapted to meditation if you would wish to build there you and your brothers then for my soul's sake will i give it to you but saint francis thus it is told us in the actus beati francisci greatly wished to find lonely places where it was good to pray therefore he thanked first of all god who with his faithful took care of his lambs and thereafter he thanked lord orlando and said lord duke when you go back to your home i will send two of my brothers to you and you can show them this mountain and if it seems suited to prayer and meditation then i will be very grateful to you for your friendly offer for the present francis himself did not go to inspect the duke orlando's gift for again did the crown of martyrdom beckon to him from afar he had not succeeded in going to the holy land now he thought of bringing the gospel to the mussulman on the further side of the mediterranean sea in morocco sultan mohammed ben nasser the mir molan as the christians by an anagram on the title emir el mumenin the ruler of the faithful were wont to call him had been beaten by the spaniards at tolosa and was forced to retreat to africa here francis determined to visit him and started on the journey probably in the winter of twelve thirteen to twelve fourteen he travelled across spain but fell sick as he reached the end of his journey and again had to return home with his object unattained on reaching portiuncula he took several new brothers into the order among them thomas of Chelano. the year after this fruitless mission to the heathen francis seems to have been present at the fourth lateran council he obtained in all probability on this occasion innocent the third's ratification of clara's and her sister's privilege of poverty it was about the same time that the french prelate jacques de vitry passed through italy on his way to the holy land 
and then made the acquaintance of the first friars minor in a letter sent from genoa in october twelve sixteen to his friends at home the french canon thus expresses himself in the time that i spent at the curia the papal court in perugia i saw much that i was entirely dissatisfied with all was so taken up with worldly and temporary affairs of politics and law that it was hardly possible to get in a word of spiritual affairs there was one thing however which comforted me in these surroundings many men and women among them many rich and worldly have for christ's sake forsaken everything and fled from the world they are called friars minor and stand in high repute both with the pope and cardinals but they take no heed of temporal things but work day in and day out with zeal and diligence to draw souls away from the vanities of the world so that they will not fall to the ground and to take them along with themselves and with the favor of god they have already reaped a rich harvest but they live after the example of the primitive man of whom it is written the multitude of the faithful were of one heart and one mind by day they labor and go into the cities and highways to capture souls but at night they turn back to waste places and lonely regions where they give themselves up to prayer the women abide together in various retreats in the vicinity of the cities they receive nothing but live from the work of their hands but the men of this order come together once a year with great provision to a predetermined place to hold a feast together and to rejoice in the lord and with the support of good men they ordain and announce their laws which the pope ratifies after this they disperse and for the entire year are in lombardy and tuscany and apulia and sicily but a holy and god-fearing man nicholas the pope's secretary recently forsook the curia and went to them but was called back because the pope could not do without him in the summer of twelve sixteen the papal court was stationed in perugia and as can be seen from the last lines of jacques de vitry's sketch the movement started by francis began to spread up to the highest hierarchy the bishop nicholas here spoke of was bishop of tusculum later cardinal nicholas chiaramonti of whom we know that he was very friendly to the franciscans and liked to have one of them with him perhaps it was at the same time that another cardinal paid his first visit to the friars minor this was cardinal ugolin of ostia and afterwards a friend and tireless protector of the order he came to portiuncula as we are told in the speculum perfectionis where the brothers were holding a conference with a large band of followers both clerks and soldiers but when he saw how poorly the brothers lived and that they slept upon straw and ate from the bare earth he was so overcome that he broke into tears and cried out how will it go with us who live so luxuriously day after day in superfluity and delights it is certain that the time was approaching for a nearer relation between francis and the papal court to be established 
the road from perugia where the curia as already said was held for the greater part of the summer of twelve sixteen to portiuncula is not long and there seems to have been reciprocal visits it was in this summer that the majority of his biographers are unanimous in placing one of the most contested affairs in the life of francis of assisi in the first days of the pontificate of honorius the third god's poor little man from assisi knelt before christ's vicar and begged for the celebrated portiuncula indulgence end of book three chapter two